there is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Hi, and welcome back to this week's episode of Net Zero Carbon. I'm Tyler Cole, your host, and this is the show at Freight Waves, where we deep dive on decarbonization with the lens on freight, fuel, and energy. And today on autonomy, I'm excited to welcome to the show Don Burnett, founder and CEO of Kodiak Robotics. Don, how are you? I'm doing great. Really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you on the show. You guys have been, um, I think, making eyebrows raise recently here with lots of fun new announcements. I know a great showing at ACT Expo we were just discussing earlier. Why don't we start with a little bit of backstory before we get into a lot of the buzz that we're seeing lately? So what's the Don Burnett story? How did you come into freight in general, not even autonomy? Well, it has been a pretty exciting year so far in 2023. But to really take it back, my journey into autonomy and then into into freight is, is a pretty long one. So I've been working on self-driving for about 15 years. I actually started back doing research at, at in academia at Carnegie Mellon. And this was a time when self-driving was really in its infancy. Nobody was really talking about it. Nobody really knew about it. There was just a handful of folks in a, in a lab somewhere basically working on this. But I got the opportunity to come out to California and join the Google team back in 2010. And I worked as a technical lead on that project for about six years. Now, at the time, self-driving was really completely centered around robo-taxi concepts. So personal mobility, urban transportation, and areas like that. And I was looking at the technology challenges that that application was facing. And I was also looking at the challenges within the broader freight and supply chain market. And around 2015, 2016, it just became clear to me that there was a real need for this technology in the freight market. Whereas in the robotaxi space, I think it's a nice to have. I think it's really cool, but it wasn't as it wasn't as critical, so to speak. And so I ended up leaving Google. I co-founded a company called Auto. Auto is one of the first Amy trunk trucking companies way back in 2016. And I led the technical effort to build up the truck and the technology at Auto. We ended up getting acquired by Uber. Uber had an existing self-driving team, so we joined that team work together there to further the cause, push the technology forward, learn a whole bunch of new lessons. Of course, I think everyone probably knows about Uber. Uber is a transportation company for personal mobility. And so once again, I found myself being pushed in that direction. And it just wasn't where my passion was. I had been learning about the freight industry. I had been learning about the transportation challenges, talking to trucking companies, talking to carriers, talking to shippers to understand some of the challenges that the industry was facing. And that's really where my passion was being directed. And so back in 2018, I decided to leave Uber and once again, push into the foray of long haul trucking, where I founded Kodiak. So we've been going strong for about five years, we built an amazing uh, initial team, and we've continued to build that team over the last five years, tons of progress on the tech, obviously, I'm sure your audience will have heard about self-driving in this space by now. Lots of commercial traction, particularly in 2022. And as you mentioned, just a couple of weeks ago, we announced the, the world's first autonomous EV uh, semi-truck. So 
it's been really exciting. It's been a really fun journey. I'm super passionate about the trucking space. And I think this technology is going to do a lot of good, save lives, increase efficiency, uh, and, and have many other benefits as well. So exciting. We could probably stop there and that would like wrap the show and we didn't, <laughs> I know, because yeah. it's just a fun time, right? A um, couple of things I want to dig into there a little bit. One, I think Carnegie Mellon is probably like, if Silicon Valley's tech, Carnegie Mellon is clearly known for their autonomy and studies in this. So it's cool you were there that early to be a part of it. Do you still engage with with that university and, and research projects or things like that? Or is that, or have they moved to different things at this point? There's still a lot of work going on at the university, and I, I am, I'm still in communication with them. We still have a relationship, of course, as, as an alumni. I'm really proud of the school, proud of the work that I did. I want to see other young, brilliant minds come up through those, those research halls doing, doing amazing things. Um, obviously, since I've been out here in California and, and in Texas with Kodiak, I've been really focused on, on building the business and building the technology that I think has the opportunity to save lives. So I'm still I'm still involved. So you know, I would definitely say uh, from afar, but I don't I don't unfortunately get back there nearly as much as I would like to. Yeah, you're a happy alumni, like a lot of people. That's great. It's it's important to call out though because I think university labs like that provide so much value for new decarbonization tech, both as a proving ground for R and D, as a feeder ground for really passionate, motivated, educated professionals who want to work in this new space. Um, so that's really interesting to hear that that's your background and journey. Yeah, and I would I would just add to that. There's so much pressure when you venture out, you start a company. There's so much pressure for commercial development, product market fit generating revenue, generating money. It's really nice in an academic setting to be able to free yourself from those constraints and just really focus on the pure technology, on the pure innovation. You get to try new things that you just otherwise wouldn't be able to do if you were in industry. So it really is a fantastic proving grounds for these types of of technologies and innovations that you you just mentioned around sustainability, uh, around energy, development around self-driving and and many others. So so it's really critical to the innovative process. And I think the, typically you'll find that these research labs are going to feed commercial and industrial use cases. Absolutely. Good point. You mentioned Texas. Is that where Kodiak is headquartered now? Where are you guys located? We're actually headquartered in Mountain View, California. Okay. So our, our base is in Mountain View, California, but we have a really large facility just in South Dallas in Texas. That's our testing and operations facility. We have a, tr- a fleet of 33 trucks now, and we're driving those trucks all over the southern United States uh, with, the home, with the home base being, being in Dallas. Excellent. I asked that because I'm just leaving uh, last week. You, you had ACT Expo going on. I was in Chattanooga at uh, CoLabs, the Company Labs Mobility Summit, where we're focusing on startups in this uh, sustainable mobility space. And Chattanooga is kind of unique in that they have um, one of the few test beds for urban autonomous mobility with smart grids and intersections that's expanding pretty rapidly. Freight, though, when we were having these conversations, long haul is so important, and that's clearly where you guys are zoomed in. So talk to me a little bit about the intersection of the infrastructure that the trucks have to go on, right? And whether that's smart city, smart grid, what's needed. Where is Kodiak at in its interactions with highways and streets and intersections today? And where do you think it's going to go in the future for long haul. This is always a really interesting topic of discussion in and around the self-driving industry. On one hand, 
there's clearly a lot of innovative technologies coming down the pipeline that we can take advantage of when it comes to vehicle-to-vehicle communication, vehicle-to-infrastructure communication. Uh, you can think of dedicated lanes for, for AVs. You can think of smart inter- intersections and, and more intelligent traffic light systems. The list goes on and on. The reality is there's a little bit of a cat and mouse, chicken and egg problem where there isn't as much investment as I would like to see in these types of technologies because the justification is, well, the users aren't there. And the problem is, well, the users aren't going to be there until the technology is in place. And there's that tension. And and it's cost, of course, that we have to really consider. So the way we think about it today is that we don't rely on or can't rely on any of those type of smart infrastructure technologies in order to get across the finish line and deploy a driverless solution in the real world. That being said, once we've done that and we've gotten over the hump, so to speak, then I think it's a lot easier to have that conversation around the interplay between the autonomous vehicles and the connected vehicles on the road and the connectivity and intelligence and, and, and smart systems that we have in our infrastructure. So it's an ongoing conversation. We're definitely a part of the conversation, but it's not something that we at Kodiak rely on today or probably will for the next coming years. Makes sense. And it makes sense for another reason in that it's a, a complicated web of additional stakeholders that you're starting to involve once you get into state, municipal, federal uh, infrastructure that crosses all the time. And that one truck probably has to go and deal with dozens of those on its route if it's trying to pick up and deliver on a long haul situation. Exactly. It's not available everywhere. And if it's not available everywhere, we can't rely on it for safety. And if we can't rely on it for safety, then we have to handle it without relying on it. And therefore, we don't need it anywhere, right? So you can you can sort of tr- follow that line of thinking, which leads you to the inevitable conclusion that while these technologies are super exciting, and I think they're going to have a major impact on the future of, of efficiency for all of transportation, it's just not something that we have today. And so we have to, we have to trudge on without it. Yeah, makes total sense. Um, before we get to efficiency, because I, I love diving into the E and ESG and there's environmental benefits abounding here I wanted to get into. The S is important as well. And you mentioned safety, and that's a huge piece of taking care of your people, doing business well, however you want to frame it. If you're a good corporate steward, you want to take care of your drivers. You want to make sure you're treating other you know, passengers on the highway and in cities and at loading docks with respect and honoring safety. That's always been the S in trucking has been safety. It hasn't been social. It's been safety for many, many years. Um, how do you guys think about that as a core, core offering for Kodiak? Well, safety is our number one core value at Kodiak. It's something that we talk actively about inside the company. Everyone on the team uh, takes it incredibly seriously with the work that we do. We recognize that we have the opportunity to save lives, but we also have the responsibility to develop this technology in a safe and reliable way until it's really ready to remove the driver. So uh, communication with our drivers is incredibly important. We listen to them. We take feedback for them in terms of the performance of the vehicle. We have multiple levels of safety checks to ensure that the truck can't do anything uh, that, that takes it beyond the bounds of its lane. We have multiple independent safety systems in the vehicle. So for instance, we have an embedded control unit that we call the ACE, the actuation control engine. 
And its sole job is to maintain the safety envelope of the vehicle around it. And if anything goes out of limits, if any of the sensors are bad, if the data is bad, if, if it's late, if the timing's not there, then that module can safely pull a truck over to the side of the road. And in our new Generation 5 truck, which we just announced a few weeks ago before ACT, we actually have two of those units in every vehicle that we're building. And so it's extra redundant, it's extra safe. Safety of the fellow users on the road is obviously core to everything we do. We can't afford to have accidents. We can't afford to put people in harm's way. And our goal is to do exactly the opposite. So at every level of our system, from culture to team, to the way we carry ourselves, to the technology we're developing, safety is at the forefront. As it should be. And that's great to hear that those redundant systems are built in. You mentioned another thing there in that S lane that's really interesting about eventually removing the driver. And, you know, there's pros and cons to that. And I'm sure you've heard all of the arguments for and against that. Talk to me about why the solution in general is even needed and the social impact of whether that's on the road or in a warehouse, robots taking, you know, human jobs. It's definitely a delicate topic. And there's a lot of folks who, who have strong beliefs in and around this subject matter. I think the first thing that most people should recognize is that autonomy is not binary. We're not going to wake up one Monday morning uh, with a switch having been flipped over the weekend and realize that 3 million trucks out on the road are suddenly going to be autonomous and, and people are out of jobs. I think we always say for truck drivers that are on the road driving today, they are going to have the opportunity to retire as truck drivers. I don't think this technology is going to take any jobs in that respect. Where we are focusing our efforts is on the longest of long haul routes. And while I can't speak, I won't speak for everyone. Obviously, there's always exceptions. But in general, if you talk to drivers, they will tell you those are not the routes that truck drivers are really excited about driving. We have the opportunity to increase jobs in more regional driving scenarios. So our plan is to deploy what we call a hub and spoke model, where we have launch and landing sites that are highway adjacent that allow us to transition from a manually driven tractor to an autonomous tractor. Our model is to focus on the longest of long haul routes. Think hundreds or thousands of miles of driving down the highway. And as I said, these are not the miles that most drivers are really excited about driving. But what we're, what we're planning to implement is using human drivers on the first and last mile. So from the DC to our hubs, and our hubs are going to be highway adjacent facilities where we then transition the, the trailer to an autonomous tractor and utilize humans almost in a drainage model going back and forth. That allows them to sleep at home at night, that allows them to stay close to home. And that's what drivers tell us they're most excited about. And I think from the efficiencies you're going to see on the long haul using autonomous technology, we're going to be able to increase the number of jobs that local drivers are performing in, in the next couple of years over the next couple of decades. Now, I will say over the long term horizon, I think most of the transportation space will transition to autonomy. And this is good for society. This is good for the overall supply chain. This will reduce accidents, imp improve safety, improve efficiency, and lower costs of our goods for, for, most, for most Americans and, and most folks who, who get their goods via freight. 
So it's going to be a slow transition. I don't think anybody should be worried about this today. I think if you're a really, really young kid and you're thinking about becoming a long haul truck driver, then that's that's maybe not the the best uh, the best future job over over many decades. But I think today it's not something that people should be super concerned about. It's going to be a slow and gradual rollout. That's a really insightful context. And I like the framing of that um, kind of colloquially saying, if you're a driver today, you're probably going to be able to retire as a driver. I think that's a very non-confrontational way to provide assurance for somebody who's had a profession they've been in for a while, that that's going to continue. And it's it's grounded in truth and that this technology will take decades to be at the same scale anywhere close to where we are today with millions of trucks on the road. So I think that's a really unique way to position that. Yeah, absolutely. And I maybe I can add also that there are going to be new jobs with every new technology. There's always new jobs that are created. Think about remote monitors. And there's going to be other points in the supply chain where human touch points are still needed, right? Transitioning trailers from different various tractors is, is a manual task that nobody's even thinking about automating. We have fueling, we have distribution, we have the DCs, etc. There's a lot of touch points that the autonomous trucks are going to need with humans in the loop, including remote monitors, remote, uh, you know, and, um, you know, remote assistance operators. So there's going to there's going to be a transition, I think, from the types of jobs that we see today at large to to a different type of job that I think people are going to enjoy even more. Absolutely. A new technology like this is exciting. I'm excited about it. And now I'm excited. I want to dig into the efficiency side of the equation and start understanding where and how autonomy and long-haul trucking can reduce fuel usage, can improve efficiency. I've heard numbers and statistics, you know, it's double digits percentage savings in fuel, but I don't know why. So can you explain, you know, how we get there? Absolutely. So we we observe around a 10% fuel savings as well running our autonomy system. And it's it's a it's a lot of factors that that are, that contribute to the overall efficiency uh, savings. One thing I would say, aside from fuel, maybe to start, is the overall efficiency of moving freight is going to increase, right? Because our trucks, our autonomous trucks with no driver, will not be constrained by the same hours of service restriction that drivers are today. And so, as a carrier or as a a fleet provider, you will be able to move your assets more or less continuously. Think about 24 hours a day. And that creates in efficiencies for the supply chain that ultimately result in, in lower cost and, and faster moving goods. So that's one part of the coin. On the fuel saving side, there's a couple of factors. One, our trucks never speed. Uh, they gently accelerate. We can control the, the smoothness of the system and we can optimize for the conditions on the road using sensors that we have access to that human drivers just don't really have in the moment. And our system is controlling over 10 times a second. So it's responding really quickly to the changes in these environments. And it's always paying attention, right? Even the best of drivers will find themselves in situations where they get surprised by something. Maybe they hit the brake a little hard. Maybe they they jam that, or maybe they hit the accelerator all the way down to the floor because they want to get to their destination a little bit faster. It's all these little things that our truck just doesn't care about, and it will always do perfectly 100% of the time. And every little bit adds up over hundreds or thousands of miles of driving 
to to an efficiency that that is in the high single digits or or even touching into 10, 10 plus percent. That's just that's just the the beginning though. I think there's a lot more that we can do. Companies like Kodiak, or I'll speak for Kodiak, we have not yet focused on fuel efficiency. It has not been one of our core uh, development criteria so far. We haven't ignored it, but I think there's even more that we can do in the future after we've actually deployed this as a driverless solution. That's exciting to know we're barely scratching the surface here. Uh, when I think about efficiency, it's a, it's an important near-term lever that can be pulled to decarbonize freight and logistics. Um, the bigger lever that everybody is focusing on is electrification, alternative fuels. How agnostic is Kodiak to propulsion? Do you guys always imagine you'll come and be um, an addition to an existing truck that's got its own propulsion system? Or will you guys look forward and start to integrate with, I guess I don't understand the model of how you integrate with OEMs and add the equipment to the trucks today. So maybe a, a standard or set the stage there and then explain how you think about agnostic to propulsion going forward. So right now we build up the system after the truck has left the factory. We work with commercial manufacturers to to install our system. So it's not, don't think of it like there's a couple of technicians in a garage that, you know, Kodiak technicians that are installing these bespokely on a truck. We actually work with contract manufacturers to do professional upfitting of our system already today. And that has the potential to scale to thousands of trucks when we are ready to, to make that to make that jump. Ultimately, if you think about this becoming ubiquitous on all trucks, I think it has to come from the factory. It has to be installed by the OEM. And all of the OEMs are working on what they call virtual driver-ready platforms. So effectively an autonomous system, a platform that has the redundancy, the braking redundancy, the steering redundancy, and all of the other power redundancy, all the other technical implementations that are required to make these trucks safe and reliable on the roadway. All the OEMs are working on that. So that day is coming. It takes a lot of time, a lot of testing uh, to get onto the the production line for these big OEMs. And so that is going to come in the future. And that will be how you would buy Kodiak system at some point along the way. In the meantime, we intend to, to upfit these trucks with our kit, with our system after they've rolled off the assembly line. And maybe to answer your question about the drivetrain, yes, we are drivetrain agnostic. We don't depend on any particular technology. And this is one of the aspects that we wanted to showcase with the unveiling of our electric vehicle, our autonomous electric semi-truck at the ACT conference a couple of weeks ago. So this is, I think, a vision of what the future holds. Our system can work on a, a battery electric drivetrain, and it can work on a fuel cell electric drivetrain along with a diesel drivetrain. So our system is agnostic to the platform. It's agnostic to the drivetrain. It's ag agnostic to the fuel system. Autonomy is going to work hand in hand with the future of sustainable transportation. Super, super exciting to see these working together to move the industry I guess we'll just say into the future, which is where it seems to be headed. So um, this is super informational and I bet we've got lots of time where we could continue to go deeper down rabbit holes that I'm interested in, but we are coming close to the end of the show. And I ask every guest that comes on, Don, why is it important to you? So when you wake up and you're building Kodiak Robotics, 
from a sustainability lens, which could be safety or efficiency or anything, why is that personally motivating for you? For me, it's always come down to safety. It's why 15 years ago, as a young kid, I decided I wanted to dedicate my life to self-driving. It wasn't because I was excited about building companies. I actually thought I was going to become a professor and run a research lab. But I wanted to work on technologies that had the potential to save lives. I've had people in my personal life who have lost their lives in, in roadway accidents. And I've always felt like we can do better as a society. We can do better as technologists. And that is the thing that ultimately drives me each and every day. I think we're finally there. I think these trucks are going to get out on the road in the next couple of years with no driver. They're going to be very safe. They're going to be very controlled. They're going to be very boring and almost nobody's going to notice them. So it's, it's, it's really exciting. But yeah, ultimately, it comes down to safety for me. Super exciting and, and inspiring. I've got three young kids, 13, 10, and 8. I would be devastated if something happened on the road with them. And I've got the similar story to you. I have friends that have lost their lives in accidents. And I don't know where I'm going to go with this question. I want to wrap this, but I, was, I wanted to comment on that because I do think that's an inspiring answer. Okay. Um, thanks for that. That's a really inspiring answer. And I'm glad that you're working on this. And apparently you've got decades left ahead if it's going to be to the rest of your life and we get these things to full commercial scale. So um, maybe one more question though, before we hop, since we've been focusing on long haul freight, do you still see a future or do you drive personally already an autonomous passenger vehicle? I do. So I, I own a Tesla. I'm a huge believer in the electrification uh, of the future. I want to try to minimize my personal carbon footprint wherever possible. So I do use the autopilot solution, which I think is a great level two driver assistance system. I, I think it's fantastic. I use it all the time. And I look forward to all the companies who are working on autonomy to push it closer and closer to that eventual reality. And I think exposure, getting exposure through autonomous systems like what Tesla and other automakers are producing, I think is really important that these technologies that are being developed by the automakers for the general public to familiarize everyone with the technology itself, the self-driving capabilities, and ultimately the safety. We still have a long way to go, and, and those systems aren't quite ready for a driverless future, but they are getting us closer and closer. And so, yeah, in my personal life, I'm really excited to use this on a day-in and day-out basis. I think uh, the electrification of vehicles is really important and something I, I greatly support. And and yeah, it's just exciting all around. I can't agree with you more. It is exciting all the way around. And thank you for spending time with me today and sharing your story and Kodiak's story. I look forward to seeing more advancements coming out and, and hopefully we'll be at ACT Expo next year to watch something rolling down the road. There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions.